Oh, man. I've been so excited about this series um, because it's a very interactive series where we're going to get to talk to one another. Um, this week, I've asked you guys to submit questions through email or through the red box out in the foyer uh, there across from guest services. And I'll ask you to do the same. You can still submit questions um, that way. And, and actually, uh, if you want me to continue preaching in this series, it's kind of required that you do that. So... <laughs> uh, or otherwise, we'll just make something up, you know. But uh, no, I, I'm just really interested to hear what is on everyone's mind, what you're thinking about, the things that you're dealing with, things you're facing, um, and the things that are kind of going through your head as you're seeing what's going on in the media, as you're seeing what's going on in our world, as all these questions may arise and you're wondering, you know, what does the Bible say about this? I mean, you may have your view or your opinion on it, but you know what? Our views and our opinions, they have no strong, firm foundation to bring about any kind of change that's going to move us in the direction of the will of God unless they're based on the Word of God. Amen? So we want to make sure that the way we're reacting to situations or the way we think or the view that we hold or the thing that we're, you know, trying to hold on to, we want to make sure that that's based on the Word of God and not just what I've always heard or what I've always thought, right? You've heard the story about um, the, uh, the lady that was cooking dinner for her mother and grandmother, and uh, she decided to do a pot roast. And what she did was she cut the end off of it, and her daughter looked at her and said, Mom, why are you cutting the end off that roast? And you know, she said, well, that's the way I've always done it. I don't know. That's the way my mom did it. Let me go ask her. And she goes and asks her mom and says, Mom, um, I'm cooking this pot roast. You remember how you always cut the end off of it? Why did you do that? She said, well, I don't know. I'll go ask your grandmother. And she went to her and said, Mom, why did we cut the end off the pot roast? She said, well, because the pot was too small. And... Uh, <laughs> see, for all these years, we had been doing something and repeating this habit, and we didn't really even know why. And sometimes we have ways of thinking about things, and we have certain mentalities and attitudes towards things or situations, and we're not really even sure why. Folks, let me tell you, I think it's important that you and I know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen, somebody? Now, if you brought your, uh, your, your smartphone, your iPhone, your iPad, or your tablet, whatever, you can check out uh, our message this morning and follow along on version. Just tap on the live uh, part of version. If you don't have that, you can download it. It's on um, the App Store and on the Android platform as well. So make sure you follow along with that. You can also uh, begin to put your notes in there as well and email those to yourself after you're done with that. And you'll have my notes along with your notes as well. There's also a portion in there for prayer requests or comments or, um, you know, praise reports. Maybe God spoke to you during that message and you just wanted to share something great. I would love to hear that. Also, this is going to give us the functionality here in just a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to do some live polling in here where I'll be able to ask the people who are here in this service uh, certain questions like A, B, C, or D, and we'll be able to give you percentages of the people that are in the room. So I'm very excited about that and very appreciative uh, for all those who have, uh, who, who have helped make this happen and put it together. Uh, and it's going to be great. And uh, so next week also, um, we're going to set it up to where uh, at the end of my message, I'm going to take a few questions live via text message, and we'll set that up and give you those numbers next week as well. So make sure that uh, you keep that in mind for next week so it'll be a little bit more interactive. Uh, but to kick this series off, uh, I wanted to answer various questions that I received about different topics, and I was looking at the questions that I got, and I kept seeing a theme. 
And so I decided to take these questions and look at the core issue. You know, even though the topics may have been a little bit uh, the same, the core issue was, was really was really the same. People were asking questions about, you know, uh, voting for a political candidate based on, you know, what that person believes. Uh, how do I deal with a spouse that has different beliefs than I do? You know, should I let my kids be around family members that have different standards and beliefs? And all these questions and others, they led me to think that we really need to talk about beliefs this morning. And so I'm going to uh, attack each one of these questions in a different light, but yet keep the thread the same. So that way I'll be answering all the questions with the same teaching, but I will highlight each uh, question. But I think that we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it and how we go about standing for that. How we go about, how do, how do we raise the standard? Pastor, we've heard you talk about raising the standard and standing on the Word of God, but how do we do that? We know we need to do that, but how do we do that? What does that look like in our day-to-day lives? And so that's what we're going to get into this morning. And the first thing that we need to establish is that the Word of God is true and I believe it. Amen, somebody? We've got to get that, uh, and, and we've just got to lay that foundation before we move any further, because here's the deal, folks. I cannot convince you that the Word of God is true, other than the fact that I can testify to it that it's true because it's how, how it's affected my life and how it's affected others. I can give you a history lesson on how the Word of God has made it through all the ages and how God has perver- pre- preserved His Word and how it's uh, done many things for many people and how it's impacted so many different lives and changed the world. I can give you all those statistics, but I cannot make you believe it. I can't do it. If I could do it, then my job would be a lot easier. You know, it would be easier if I could just push a button and make people believe the Word of God. But the fact is, is that you're going to have to believe the Word of God, believe it is God-breathed, God-spoken, God-inspired. You have to believe that it is without error, that it is 100% the absolute definitive Word of God that shows us who He is, shows us His character, shows us how He operates, how He thinks, and what He desires for our lives. We've got to believe that. Otherwise, we're just trying to pick and choose the good things we like and disregard the things we don't like, right? So we've got to believe that his word is forever settled and it's forever true. You know, you, you can't just believe the parts that are easy for you to accept. A lot of us like to pick and choose and we like to look at the word of God like chicken soup for the soul. And... Uh, I don't know what that is, by the way. I've just seen the books. Um, but anyways, you know, we, we look at it like it's, it, it's an inspirational word for the day that's just supposed to enhance our lives and make our lives better. Folks, this is not the spice of life. This is not the extra side dish or the dessert that comes along with your life. This is the very foundation of our lives. Amen? This is our lives. Everything that God wants us to see and know about him and about ourselves and what Jesus has done for us, he has given us in his word, and he wants us to see that in his word and let that be reflected in the way that we live our lives. Amen? You see, that's why we've got to believe that the word of God is true. Now, just because you believe it's true does not make it true. You can believe that, you know, that stop sign is there or not. Someone will let you know later on whether it's true or not if you choose to not believe in it that day. The hard way. (laughs) Thank you. But let me tell you, folks, we've got to understand that the Word of God is true, and I believe it. Just because I believe something does not make it true. We live in a culture today, and I've said this many times 
We live in a culture that thinks that just because I believe something, that that makes it true, that truth is relative, that it's not absolute, that it's not definitive, that it's what I make on my own. Well, I believe this is truth for me, and you can believe that's truth for you, and you're fine, and I'm fine, and we're all fine, and we're all just hug and high-five each other. And folks, let me tell you, that's not the way it is. There are some things that are absolute in this world, and God has spelled those things out and given us those things in his word, amen? And you see, we have to believe that. The word of God is true, and I believe it. If you have your Bible this morning, or if you're following along on you version, turn to Psalms uh, 119. Psalm 119. That's a long, it's a long one. Psalm 119, we're going to look at verse 89. Psalm 119, 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. But I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. He, the, the writer leads off right here by saying, Forever, O Lord, forever your word is settled in heaven. Your word is established. It's settled. When you speak, that's it. When God said it, that settles it. Amen, somebody. You see, in saying we believe the entire Bible as the Word of God, we are seeing it as true. We're seeing it as a true picture of God's character, of His values, how He makes decisions, and we can learn how He would desire for us to make decisions and be guided by His truth. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we're going to look at verse 24. Jesus is giving another parable here. In Matthew 7 and verse 24, a very familiar parable where he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So this is a two-part thing here. He said, whoever hears these sayings and actually does something with it. It's just not enough to hear, right? It's just not enough to hear and go, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. You know, you can't really tell what somebody believes just by the fact that they know a lot or they've heard a lot. We can sit and listen to James Earl Jones read us the Bible all day long. Anyways. We can put him in our CD player and have him reading the Bible to us all day long. But let me tell you, folks, if we don't do it, then we don't really believe it. 
just because I hear something, I could hear Harry Potter. <laughs> that don't mean I believe it, right? I could hear something that was, you know, fantasy-based, something that was, there was no way that that could be real, but I don't believe it. So just because I hear it doesn't mean I believe it. That's why he said, whoever hears these sayings and does them. Whoever hears them and does them and puts them into practice, that person is like a man who built his house on the rock. Now understand something about the rock. The rock was already there. The man didn't have to build the rock. I want you to think about that. The rock was already there. He saw something that he chose to build his life upon that was already established. We don't establish the rock. The rock is already established. We choose to build on what's already established. And that's exactly what God wants us to do with his word and with his truth. He wants us to see that his word and his truth is already established and that we choose to build our lives upon what he's already done. Thank you, God. I don't have to build the foundation. Now, we can also choose that sand, which is always shifting, which is always moving. Kind of like our emotions, kind of like our feelings. You know, we, we want to base our decisions and we want to base all of our actions on how we feel about something at a certain time. And that's always shifting and moving because how many of you know that your feelings and your attitudes change? They change with circumstances. And how many of you know circumstances change? There are things that are out of our control. What happens when those sands begin to shift, whenever the rains begin to come, all of a sudden there's no stability there. And great is the fall of that house because it did not, it was not built on the solid rock of God's word and God's truth. So, now that we understand that, and we've got all this as a foundation, we need to build our lives on the solid rock of God's word in every decision that we make. Every decision that we make, we need to allow his word, his character, his values to guide us and to lead us into all truth. The Bible says that the Spirit himself will lead you into all truth. All truth, not some truth, not just little things here and there, but all truth. When Jesus says all, he means all, right? Right. So whenever he says he wants to lead us and guide us into all truth, that means he wants to influence every decision we make. He wants to influence our life. He wants to lead us and guide us by showing us how he would do it, by showing us what he values, what he says is important. And he truly wants us to allow him to influence and guide us in every area of our lives. So, how do we vote in the upcoming election? You know, as I think about that question, and a lot of people want to ask things like that, you know, how do I vote in the upcoming election, you know, because of my beliefs, and I don't know what this person believes or that person believes, you know, I don't know about this. Now, we need to look at the Word of God and what God says as our constant, as the foundation on which we make all decisions. Amen? Not some decisions. Well, God didn't know who was going to be running for president. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he wasn't surprised. He didn't go, oh, it wasn't a nail biter for God. God doesn't care about Gallup or Rasmussen or any of the other polls. He doesn't care. Because God already knew he's not caught off guard. So in doing so, 
if God is not caught off guard, but yet you and I are the ones that need to be in tune with what God would want, and we need to make decisions that would be in line with what God values and what God desires, we need to look at the qualifications that God set in order to choose leaders in the first place. Okay? So let's look at that. Do you have your Bible? Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Moses was facing a really unique problem here because he had, uh, he, he was the leader. God had already established him as the leader, but everybody was bringing Moses all their problems. Now, you may think, oh, what's the big deal? God made Moses the leader. Yeah, historians say that the, the, tribe, the, the nation of Israel that was led out of Egypt, those Hebrew children that were led out, God's chosen people, it wasn't like a couple hundred folks. Best estimates are somewhere around 900,000 to over a million people. Somewhere in there. So when you think about the crossing of the Red Sea, man, that might have taken a little while. Everybody's got kids and everybody's got donkeys and they've got stuff and, you know, everybody's crossing. I mean, that, that would have taken a while. And so here's all these people and Moses is the leader. And guess what? Everybody's bringing their problems to Moses. That's a lot of folks for one man to handle. And Moses doesn't have a clue. He's going, man, I don't know what to do. So he goes to his father-in-law named Jethro. Go figure, right? <laughs> and, and Jethro... That's a shame that that man had to have that name because God knew the Beverly Hillbillies would be coming out. <laughs> and he knew that pastors would be having to preach on Jethro. That's just, I don't know. But God knew, right? We've already established that. So here's Jethro. He goes to Jethro and, and, and he says, uh, he says uh, you know, I don't know what to do. This is so overwhelming. And Jethro was inspired by God to give him a way to structure and organize. And he began to show them the type of leaders he needed to set in order to be able to handle these different uh, people and different sections. And he worked it all out and gave him a great solution. But he gave him qualifications first. He said, you just don't want to put anybody in a leadership position. Amen, somebody. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how talented you are. Um, let me tell you, you don't just throw anybody in leadership. There's got to be certain things that are in place before someone is in leadership. And God established this from the very beginning. And so this is what he said in Exodus 18 and verse 21. This is Jethro speaking to Moses. He said, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, able, such as that fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and placing over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, this is one of the areas that he showed qualifications for leadership. He said they have to have ability. They have to be able. In other words, they need to be able to produce results. They've got to be able. They've got to fear God. They've got to be men of truth. Men who hate deception. Men who hate lies. Men who want the truth. And he said they have to hate covetousness. And then he said place these types of men over these different areas, over these different sections. Now, I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Exodus, Leviticus. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and let's look at verse 13. Now, when they were separating them into tribes, he said this. Verse 13, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. Now he said, choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes. 
He's giving him more qualifications for leadership, for people that are going to be ruling, people who are going to be making decisions. These guys need to be wise. They need to be understanding. They need to be knowledgeable men. Now, I want to show you here in 2 Timothy in the New Testament where there were qualifications given for leadership in the church. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, what we're doing here is we're seeing how in Scripture God looks at leadership, how, what God values when it comes to leaders. We're looking at the things that God says is important. And if God says it, it, that it's important, you and I need to say it's important. Amen? Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. He said, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said, commit these things. If you're going to delegate authority, if you're going to give authority to someone to go out and teach the things that you have been saying and the things I've been showing you, he said, those types of leaders need to be people that are faithful men who will be able. So they need to be faithful and they need to be able. They need to be understanding. They need to be knowledgeable. They need to love the truth and hate evil. They need to not be covetousness, uh, people, people that covet, people that, that, that are always uh, looking at what others have and they're always wanting. He, he said that they need to be people who love the truth, who fear God. And that's the type of people that God said that we need to put in leadership. Those are the type of people that we need to elect. Now, out of these verses, we can see what God values in truth, in people who will be well-able, wise. Listen to this. People who don't just say the right things, but actually show by their decisions and the results that they have produced in their lives. Because how many of us know that politicians want to tell us what we want to hear, so we'll vote for them? That's just how it is. But Jesus said, here's the telltale sign. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, Jesus said, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. It's not just saying these are the things that are important to me or these are the things that, are, that uh, I value or these are the things that I'm going to do. Saying these are the things that have been produced in my life. These are the leadership qualities that I have shown forth in my life. These are the values that you can see in my life. And let me tell you, what someone believes should be very important to us as Christians when appointing leaders. But what they stand for and what their character has shown is even more important than what they say. <clears throat> I'll say that again. What someone believes should be very important to us as Christians when appointing leaders. But what they stand for and what their character has shown is even more important than what they say because we know that people would want to tell us what we want to hear, but what has character shown? What has been proven? What has been shown by their character? Is it lining up with what God values in a leader? You see, we are responsible for what we stand for and what we believe as Christians, and it is our duty to be well informed of what candidates stand for and believe, and are those things the same things that the Word of God teaches? That's really all it boils down to, folks. I'm just going to be really, really honest with you, because I love you, and I want to tell you the truth, 
And I want to tell you that one of the most important issues to me as your pastor in any election is not the economy. What? I want to tell you that one of the most important issues, although it is important, is not even foreign policy. What is important? I'll tell you one of the most important issues to your pastor is life. Because life is a gift from God and not just simply a choice of convenience. I'm going to say that slow so I can say it some more. Said life is a gift from God, not simply a choice of convenience. Jeremiah 1 and 5, God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet. He said, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He said, I had thoughts and plans for you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. So folks, life is always more important to me than money. Amen, somebody. Pastor's preaching today. And that's one of the principal guiding factors that always guides me in deciding leaders what do they value yeah the economy is going to go up it's going to go down we hope it gets better we want it to get better but you know what folks i'm much more concerned about life than i am money money is not life jobs come and jobs go do i want the economy to do better absolutely i pray we get out of this mess And I know that a lot of people are going to be voting based on their pocketbooks, based on their job security, based on what's going to be best for them. But folks, let me tell you, I cannot get away from disregarding life. Amen. So, how do we handle issues of differing views or beliefs in our lives? How do we handle those things? I mean, because obviously there's going to be people that are going to have different views and different positions on things. How, how, do, we, how do we handle that when people have an opposing view? I mean, how, how do we even deal with that? Can I talk to you all for a minute? I'm trying to move on in this sermon, and I can't because I've got to tell you this story. Okay, I'm going to back up to life for a minute. Is that okay? Y'all good? When my wife was pregnant with our twin girls, she was having a lot of complications in the pregnancy, and we, we uh, found out that she was having twins. It was uh, not at all like our first uh, pregnancy, the first one. Isn't that funny how people always say our, like the man was involved? <laughs> uh, when we were pregnant, yeah, right. <laughs> Wives, look at your husband and say, yeah, you didn't have a whole lot to do with that, pal. <clears throat> but when, when we were pregnant with our first child, it was like the easiest thing. I mean, matter of fact, I was a youth pastor, and it was Wednesday night. Now we were going to have youth service, and uh, I, I told my wife, I said, I need you to make some copies, and here she was, you know, about to, you know, have our son any day, and, and I said, I need you to make some copies that night, and she gives me a call and says, hey, I'm not going to be able to make those copies for you, and I said, why not? Well, I'm going to the hospital having our kid. Okay. <laughs> And just a few hours later, there you go, we had a kid. And we're like, wow, that was really easy. This pregnancy stuff's nothing. (laughs) And then she gets pregnant again. And we're expecting it to go just as smoothly as the second one. So I'm like, you want to go make some copies, you know? And and, uh, it didn't work out the same. It was really difficult. 
And what happened was we actually got a phone call, believe it or not, after we had had a quad screen. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a blood test where they test the mother's blood and they, they have four screens, thus quad, and they check for all these different things. And the quad screen test came back and there were some bad things that came up in there. And they called my wife on the phone, on the phone, and told her that both of the babies were tested positive for spina bifida and Down syndrome. On the phone, thanks for that. That was a rough day, and they, they, they asked us, do you want to abort these children? We were asked if, 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 that, was, if that was an option, and, and we said that's, that's not an option at all. That's not an option at all for us, and so we were beginning to get calls from different agencies, and people were saying, we want to teach you how you know, to deal with children with special needs and where you're going to have to raise up children that are, you know, basically uh, going to be both Down syndrome and spina bifida. They're going to be wheelchair bound. They're basically going to be vegetables and they're going to have lots of health issues and they're probably not going to live very long. They begin to give us percentages and all this is what it looks like. What they didn't tell us was that same thing that shows up in the quad screen for those two things also shows up for twins. They didn't tell us that. Um, But yet they asked us if we wanted to abort those children and we said no. And we have perfectly healthy children, and God's done a miracle. Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. But yesterday, we were eating at Chili's, and, uh, and here's my twin girls. And uh, there were uh, some older women sitting behind us, and then there were these two Down syndrome women there that were probably in their 30s, I would imagine, and they were twins, and they were celebrating their birthday party. And they had on crowns, they had on tiaras, and they had on a, a, a little, little uh, sash that said princess on it. And they were celebrating their, I, I imagine they were probably in their 30s, I would guess. And they sang happy birthday to them. And Leah, one of the twins, one of our twins looks at my wife and she says, Mommy, are those princesses? And I'm just like. <laughs> and I just look and I say, you know what? Had that had to have been us, we would have been fine with that because we believe in life. You know, if, if God would have chosen us to raise those children with special needs, that, that would have been fine. Praise God that, that all, none of those things were true. But had they been, I would still be up here saying praise God for life. Amen? Amen. I just had to share that with you guys. So, <laughs> I, I kept trying to move on with my message, but I couldn't get past thinking about yesterday and thinking about those, those twins. I don't know. It was just, uh, it was special. You thank God for those moments. You know what? So how do we handle issues of differing views or beliefs in our lives? <clears throat> I'll tell you, this is your third point. I want you to write it down. Continue to build your house on the rock because I want you to understand this above everything else that you are ultimately responsible for your life but you also have a responsibility to influence and invest in others. But ultimately, you're responsible for you. You can't play the blame game when you're standing before God. You can't say, well, so-and-so said this. You can't play the blame game. You're ultimately responsible for the decisions that you make in life. And those decisions that you make are going to influence others. So ultimately, you are responsible, and you have to continue to build your house on the rock. So I want you to understand this. The Word of God is the rock. The foundation is Jesus, it's already been laid, and you have to build upon the foundation that is already there. Now we've got to realize, when we're talking about people who have differing views or differing beliefs than us, we have to realize we cannot change someone's heart. Not our job. 
Only God can. Amen. You try to change someone's heart, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt and frustration. Now, does that mean that we just step back and do nothing? No. There are things that we can do, but there are some things that we are doing, trying to change a person and trying to, trying to manipulate and, and guilt trip and change people, and it's not working and we're frustrated. And sometimes we carry an attitude or an air about us that's holier than thou or that I'm better than you because I've got all this figured out. And then they see you sin and they go, ah, thought you were better than that. Thought you went to church. Thought you read the Bible. Saw you watching Joyce Meyer the other day. And you're like, oh man, you carried yourself as this holier than thou and then people are just waiting for you to mess up. Folks, we cannot change people's heart. Only God can. I remember when I was on a mission trip, inner city mission trip to uh, Houston. I was with a YWAM team, and we were doing some inner city mission work late at night. And I'm talking about really late. And we were in the ghetto. Matter of fact, we were in the ninth ward in Houston at about 2 in the morning, and we had to go get gas. And a guy pulls up next to us at the gas station, sees our little church van, and we had all of our bright orange shirts on that said truce on it because we were in gang territory. He comes up to us and says, y'all need to get out of here. Y'all are in the wrong part of town. He said, I just pulled over here to tell y'all that. And then he drives off. We kept on going anyways, and we went to these uh, sets of apartments. And, and uh, we were going down there to, to minister to folks. And there was this guy, man, he was just slap, happy, drunk. And uh, I went up to him, and I was determined that this man was going to accept Jesus. I was determined... I just had it made up in my mind. And I, here I am, I'm the youth pastor, I'm the example. I'm going to show these teenagers how to win somebody to Christ. And so I went up to him and I said, Sir, let me tell you about the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> and I'm sitting here telling him my testimony. And I'm sitting here telling him, all you got to do is say this prayer. And I just kept, if I could just get him to say this prayer, and I just kept pressuring him and pressuring him and trying to get him to say this prayer. And I kept putting, if you were to die tonight, let me tell you, where do you think you'd go? Let me tell you right now. And here I am trying to preach this guy and get him saved. And I begin to realize, now that I look back on these things, my motive was very selfish very prideful. It's all about exalting me and watch what I can do and look at me. If I can get this man to say a prayer, then God's going to give me an extra jewel in my crown in heaven. Ching! Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how good of a youth pastor I am. Oh, I can force someone to say a prayer. It's actually a little creepy. I was trying to guilt trip this guy into doing this so i kept just hammering away and this guy was just completely drunk as was gone and finally after about an hour he goes okay let's pray <laughs> and we pray look up jesus in my heart Woo! now listen to me folks we laugh at that, but a lot of us do those same things just trying to get a certain result, and then we feel once we've gotten that result, we can back off. Ooh, I applied all the pressure I needed, and now that I've got the result I wanted, but let me tell you, folks, God knows the heart of man. Let me tell you, it's not just with the confession that we're saved. The Bible says there's another part to that. 
It's that we believe in our, in our heart and that we confess with our mouths. You see, it starts here in our hearts. And because of what's in our heart, we confess that Jesus is Lord. But he's got to work in our heart first. And we've got to understand that only God can do that. Now, it's our responsibility to present opportunity. It's our responsibility to be that living testimony, to be that living word of God in front of people and to show them the grace and mercy of God and the goodness of God. But it is not our job to just try to hammer out a response from someone so we can feel like, okay, everything's better now and I can leave them alone. Amen. So, if only God can change someone's heart then, what is our responsibility when we're surrounded with others who see things so differently? Like, what if we're married to that person? How, how do we handle that? I want you to write down these six things. This is what I want you to do, especially if you're married to that person, but these things will apply to any relationship or anyone in your life that you're trying to show Christ to or that has different views or, or uh, ha- is, is, has walking a different path than you are. Here's some things we should do in those situations. Number one, live in the now. You see, especially husbands and wives, if you have an unsaved spouse, don't make life miserable and don't be miserable. Don't make life miserable. Don't enjoy being with that person. Don't excommunicate them from your life simply because they may have different views or maybe they haven't come to Christ yet. Because if you make life miserable, you're not going to be winning that person. You're going to be pushing that person away. It's not your job to make life miserable. It's your job to love them and commit yourself to them and to trust in God, and for you to be responsible for you to live your life the way God's called you to live it. Amen, somebody. Somebody that knows what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. Second thing I want you to write down, live honestly. I talked about this just a little bit earlier. Live honestly. Don't, you you got to understand, you, don't tout yourself self as some perfect person because guess what? You're going to blow it. Don't tout yourself as someone who's got it all figured out and all together. You let those people that you're trying to minister to or that person living with you understand that you live under grace, that God has shown his grace and mercy to you, and that's why you're so free, not because you say and do the right thing every single time, because what happens when you don't? They go, ha, hypocrite, that's why I don't go to church, because people like you. Am I not telling the truth? Let them know, I'm living under grace. I'm living under grace, and it's because of God's grace that I can grow in holiness, that I can grow in my likeness of Him, that I can grow in my understanding of the truth and my application of the truth. It's because of His grace. Otherwise, every time I blew it, it would be like uh, Captain Kangaroo. The ping pong balls would fall down. You get ping pong balls on your head. Or you get whacked like whack-a-mole. Wham, you messed up. Wham, God just go, oh, I'm going to get you next time. That's not how it works. That's not how grace works. That's not how his mercy and his love works. You need to let that person know that, hey, I'm living under grace, and God's grace is available to you also. And if you're married, you need to honor your marriage. Don't belittle or talk down to your spouse, especially behind their back. 
don't belittle them or treat them like they're inferior because they may not be walking in the same understanding that you're walking in or the same revelation that you're walking in or the same forgiveness even that you're walking. Don't put them down and treat them like they're inferior, especially behind their back, especially at work or on the phone with your friend. I'll tell you what, my husband... Uh, if he would just do this and this and this and this and this and this. Oh, yeah, I tell you what, he's just terrible. He needs Jesus in his life. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. We make Jesus sound like bad medicine somebody needs to take or something. Oh, they need Jesus. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> Am I better? That's what we make it sound like. Instead of showing them a loving relationship, instead of showing them the fruit of our lives, instead of showing them the benefits of our lives and letting them see it, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me tell you, you hang around with somebody long enough and you're emulating that fruit that God wants us to emulate in our lives. They are going to see it and they're going to taste and they're going to see that God is good and that he's available for them just like he's available for you. <laughs> Fourth thing, pray. 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 Stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. Ezekiel said that I was looking for a man who would stand in the gap, but I couldn't find anybody. I was looking for somebody who would intercede, who would stand in the gap for someone else and trust. Trusting God, whether it takes eight days, eight months, eight years, or 80 years. I, I don't care. I'm committed. I'm in this thing for the long haul. I'm not going to vary from my position or where I stand. I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust that God is going to do what he said he would do. Amen, somebody. The fifth thing, I think this is very important. You need to find a support system, uh, a church or solid Christian friends to encourage you. Not a gossip circle, not a gossip circle, not a gossip circle. But people who will encourage you and maybe tell you things that maybe are a little uncomfortable that you don't want to hear from time to time. Because I'll guarantee you, not everything in this world is one-sided. Yeah, where's the missing And the sixth thing, never give up hope. I said, never give up hope. See, it's not over. You don't throw in the towel and go, well, I took him to that revival, and that's pretty much the best preacher I know, and there's not a whole lot better than that. I mean, I took him to Billy Graham, and they didn't get saved. So if you can't get saved at a Billy Graham revival, you must just pretty much be hopeless. <laughs> and, and that's how people think. They think, oh, well, it's over because I've done everything I know to do. I pulled my hair out. I don't know what else to do. Yeah, you do. Live in the now. Live honestly. Honor your marriage. Pray. Find people that will encourage you and support you. That's why church is so important. We need each other. Sharpen each other. As iron sharpens iron, right? And don't give up. Fourth thing I want you to write down, your fourth point today, is live truth daily and allow God to work on others' hearts as he continually works on ours. Live truth daily, every day, not just on Sunday, not just when it's convenient, not just when you want to tell somebody what you know and how they need to do what you know because you're right and they're wrong. No, you've got to live it every day. You've got to allow God to work on their hearts because guess what? He's continually working on ours. Amen? There's nothing good in us except for Jesus. It's only through Jesus that I'm even worthy to be called a son or be called a daughter. It's only because of Jesus that I'm alive. It's only because of Jesus' sacrifice. It's all because of him. So he's continually working on me 
what he's done on the inside of me, he wants that to emulate on the outside and transform me from the inside out. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me read you just one more uh, passage of scripture here in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 23. Y'all glad y'all came to the early service because if this was a late service, y'all be sweating that Packer game. Y'all so crazy. <laughs> oh, I gotta see the kickoff. <sighs> Pastor just got to the fourth point. <sighs> I, know, I know what y'all are thinking. Uh, well, there you go. Well, all right. Well, yeah, we'll wrap it up then. Because that's what's important. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 2 and, uh, and, and verse 23 said, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now verse 23 here says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they're just going to generate a bunch of strife. And you see what Paul is writing to Timothy here, what was going on is that there were these two guys specifically that Paul mentions in verse 17 called Hymenus and Philetus. And these two guys were teaching false doctrines. And Timothy wanted to go jack them up. And Paul said, listen, it's not going to be worth it to go and tell them how they're wrong and go and tell them how you're right. He said, listen, Avoid those foolish and ignorant disputes because you know it's just going to generate a bunch of strife. In other words, this is what Paul was telling Timothy. Listen, Timothy, you need to let them know where you stand, but you also need to stay humble when you do it. And let them know, I'm not here to argue, but this is where I stand. That's the Pastor Derek version of that scripture. That was, that, that's basically, in layman's terms, what Paul was telling Timothy. Listen, you need to let them know where you stand. He said, you, you must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and be patient. In humility, correct people who are in opposition. Do it with humility. Don't just go and tell somebody how they're wrong and you're right. Correct them with humility. He said, you need to let them know where you stand, but you need to stay humble when you do it. And let them know, listen, I'm not here to argue, but I'm not going to compromise either because this is where I stand. Amen? Paul said it's not going to be worth it to argue with people like this, but you do need to stand. You don't need to compromise. You don't need to let somebody run over you, but at the same time, you need to stand. You need to stand. You see, all throughout the Word, we see people having to take a stand for what they believe when the pressure is on, when it wasn't popular. Folks, it's the same today, amen? And we don't push others away or hurt them because there are differences, but we do set boundaries in our lives of what we will and won't allow based on God's word when we stand on that. Amen? Just like when, you know, when your kids go spend the night at someone else's house, do you know what your kids' friends' parents allow in their homes? Do you know what they allow? Are, are you allowing, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of boundaries are you going to set for your children? Are your children going to respect those boundaries if there's something that's different? Are you going to allow your children to go somewhere that you know that the values are different? You see, these are the types of boundaries we need to set for our children in our lives. Amen? 
you know, what conversations will you participate in or allow yourself to be a part of? You know, what type of things are you going to allow yourself to watch or get into or to talk about at the, uh, at, at the break room or, you know, when you have a few extra minutes with that coworker? What are you going to talk about? Is it going to be the latest gossip or what he said, she said? What, are you, what kind of boundaries are you setting in place? You see, it's not that you push everyone away, but you do set boundaries based on God's word. And you say, listen, I'm not here to argue with you, but we're not going to talk about that right now. I, I don't want to talk about that. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Boom. And you know what my mother always taught me? This is not biblical, I guess, but it's still motherical. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I believe it's God-inspired. My mom always taught me if... Someone tells you something, and you respond to them a certain way, and they won't let it go, you say the exact same thing again. And then when they come at you again with it, you say the exact same thing again. No, I don't want to go do that today. Well, yeah, but you really need to get out of the house. Yeah, I don't want to go do that today. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, come on. you got to do something for yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to do that today. You keep doing that. My mom always taught me they'll eventually quit. <laughs> We have to help people sometimes. You see, we need to get into God's truth and learn his character, his values, and align our lives with him. Not to cause strife, not so we can get into that big debate with that coworker that, that has a different view on predestination than us. And we're like, oh, I got a scripture today. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's foolishness. There's nothing wrong with talking about things, but arguing or, or, or going and, and putting someone down or pushing them away. Listen, you let them know, this is where I stand, and we can be cool. This is where I stand. This is what I'm going to allow. This is what I'm not going to allow. And the only type of people I want to hang around are the people who will respect those things. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are responsible for the influences you allow in your life, and ultimately you are responsible for how you respond to God's truth. Amen? That's really what all this boils down to. So when it comes to standing on what we believe, we're responsible for where we stand and what we believe based on God's word and how we react and respond to these different situations. I hope this has helped you today. I hope this has helped you today, and I want you to keep the questions coming in, and I want you to bring your phones and bring your, uh, your iPads and all that stuff, because it's going to be great. Next week is going to be a little bit more interactive. What am I speaking on? I have no idea. So get those questions coming. I sure have enjoyed this time with you today, but before we go, I just want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want to ask all the folks here in the room today, if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or maybe you've been far away from him and you're saying, Pastor, I want to get my life right and I want to come back to Jesus and make that declaration today. And I feel like I've been far away from him and I'm ready to make a serious commitment. If that's you, I just want you to let me know you're here by lifting up your hand and putting it back down. Anybody in this place today? There's no shame, no fear. See that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place today? See that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? Church, would you help us pray this morning by repeating this after me? And I want you to mean it from your heart. Don't let it just be words. Mean it from our heart today. Jesus, I commit my life to you. Every part. I accept you as my leader, as my Lord, as my Savior, the one who died on the cross for me. 
I believe that was good enough to forgive me and to make me right with God. I accept you, Jesus, and I'm never going to look back. I'm only looking forward. Lead me and guide me and order my steps from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer today, I'd love for you to let us.